Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way, and by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today, audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. I've got a bad feeling about it. All right, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I am your host today. Uh, Em and Miles are working other jobs, but uh, I'm inviting you here to listen to us to something that has been, has become really an annual occurrence. Uh, And I would like to welcome to the show, Mike Schilling, head of publicity for Shore Leave, and in this case, Shirley Forty. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on once again. Yeah, so we were just reminiscing that it's been nine years that we've been doing this kind of this annual pilgrimage, this annual podcast that we've been doing, talking about Shirley, and we've covered many different topics over the years, obviously Shirley being one of the central topics. Um, but nine years, Mike, nine years. Hard to believe, and believe me, I wouldn't miss it. You guys have been, you know, at the Sci-Fi Diner, have been such huge, enthusiastic supporters of Shore Leave and, and other, you know, fan-run conventions in our area for low these many years. And believe me, we, we definitely noticed the support. Oh, we... And we are very grateful for it. So it's my pleasure to do this every year. And like I always say, even if this wasn't, quote-unquote, my position with the convention, I would still probably do it anyway, because I'd, I'd love the convention anyway. So, um, you know, I'm only too happy to, to do this. Awesome, awesome. Well, you, you had asked how we kind of found each other nine years ago. You had just become, or I guess, a head of media and publicity maybe a year or so before and uh, when the Sci-Fi Diner, just to let our listeners know, the Sci-Fi Diner, when we originally started, we started under the name Dining at the End of the Universe or something like that, Dining at the Restaurant of the Universe. And we had, I think it was Dining at the End of the Universe was the name of the podcast. And we were just so a kind take of, off on Hitchhiker's Yeah, it was guide, a take, yeah, course. exactly. A take off on Hitchhiker's Guide. So uh, Miles and I, about episode 15, he said, you know, there's these conventions that are down in Maryland. We should... We should see if we can, you know, try to get in as press. And um, I guess Miles are, I think Miles, maybe the first year contacted you and you said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And you were the one that suggested that, hey, you know, if you come as press, why don't you, why don't you do interviews with these celebrities? And that kind of changed the, the course of the Sci-Fi Diner history. So uh, we can kind of credit you uh, in, in some ways, Mike, for rebranding for us becoming the sci-fi diner and us kind of doing an interview format show that we've been known for over the past 300 plus episodes. Well, I don't know how much credit, uh, you know, I can get for that and anything you would have found out about us uh, sooner or later, but, 
But anyway, I do appreciate all the all the kind words. I appreciate you telling me and reminding me again of how that all started all those years ago and everything. But I hope the relationship has been as you know good for you down there at the diner uh, as it has been for for us. That it's wow. helped you a great deal and also allowed you to have a really good time meeting some wonderful people down here at Shoreleave every year. Absolutely. Well, today, uh, as, as, as Mike and I talked about what we're going to do on the show today, we obviously will be talking shore leave. We figured we would do that to the, toward the end of the show. Uh, it is the 40th anniversary of shore leave. So this is a big shore leave for people. Unbelievable. It boggles my mind. Yeah. 40 years. But it's not the only anniversary that we're celebrating. We are celebrating the anniversary of Deep Space Nine and it's the 25th anniversary and the 25th anniversary of Babylon. Um, of a, a, a Babylon Five, and so these are two topics I thought we would maybe explore, and then we'll get into shore leave and talk about some memorable points in shore leave for us. Why we keep coming back to shore leave? Why Mike continues to be involved in shore leave, and uh, what makes him passionate about it, and what shore leave is offering this year? And let me tell you, the lineup looks awesome. So you want to stay tuned for that because we're going to be talking about that. So, Mike, I thought we would start uh, by talking about DS9. You, My understanding is that you watched this originally and then decided you were going to go back to a rewatch here on the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine. Tell us a little bit about that. What made you want to come back to DS9? Well, I, I really enjoyed Deep Space Nine when it was first on the air, although admittedly at the time it was a little bit difficult to find. Here in the Baltimore market, in many cases, it didn't have the benefit of like uh, what had happened to Next Generation or Voyager, where the shows were on during prime time all the time or during the dinner hour. I can remember some years where DS9 was airing in Baltimore at like 11, 12 o'clock at night. You really had to search for it. Uh, we could literally spend a whole hour about, you know, the old saying about DS9 being the redheaded stepchild of the Star Trek franchise. It was. Uh, never got the same, it never really got the same respect and, you know, financial support that a lot of the other shows did. And we could go on for hours about that if we had the time. But anyway, I really enjoyed it at the time, especially the further along it went. The first couple years were, yeah, above average, good. I enjoyed it. I watched it regularly. But in the fourth season, things really started turning around for me. Um, when they, they moved um, Cisco up uh, to Captain, where he shaved his head, became a lot more like Hawk, that whole series he used to be in, with Spencer taking you back a little ways there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, uh, Michael Dorn as Worf joined the cast for the fourth season. Uh, they started investing more and more time in the whole Dominion War arc which eventually, you know, dominated the rest of the years of the run of the show. Um, so I felt that it just kept picking up steam further along it went. And, and again, uh, I can't speak, you know, as to how this happened, but it seems like in more recent years, it is very, very hard to find DS9 on the air unless you get it on Netflix, say, or you, you know, you stream it or something like that, or you binge watch it like so many young people are doing today. Um, you know, unlike Next Gen, which seems to air constantly on BBC America or or Sci-Fi, for example, um, and even Voyager is getting a lot of airplay these days on some cable channels, but not DS9. And so after all these years, I said, well, I know the price of the disc sets have come down. I don't want to sound too cheap, but let's 
let's face it, when those disc sets first started coming out, I think you all remember it quite well. Uh, I think those disc sets originally listed at like $99.99 a piece, or in some cases like $106.99 retail wow. a piece. Yeah, and when you have that. seven years of a show and you're a working stiff, like so many of us are, right? You know, uh, I just could not make that investment. So for the longest time, uh, I hadn't seen a lot of these episodes. But recently I became aware, well, you know, a while ago I became aware that they keep repackaging the sets every handful of years. Every time they do, the price becomes more reasonable. And so finally I decided to get on good old Amazon or eBay, you know, and just start, not that I want to plug any organizations or anything, but that's basically what I did. I started hunting these disc sets for a reasonable price, and I started buying the disc sets, you know, and Every evening when the house would get quiet, I would watch like one or two episodes, you know, per night until I would, you know, fall asleep and everything for the evening. Um, and so bit by bit, I would start rewatching a lot of these episodes that I hadn't seen in many, many years. And I was reminded of just how great that show was. Uh, so basically, that's how that happened. Wow. So, you know, I think that one of the things we had a chance recently to sit down with the Nav Visitor and she mentioned how Netflix and being able to binge watch the show has really helped it after it went off the air. Um, and I was thinking, you know, it had to be difficult because it's such a story show that each week you were dropped an episode and then you had to, you wait for next week to encounter it. Or in your case, if it was on 11, 12 o'clock at night, you would skip a couple episodes. It would have to be hard to track the story the way it originally aired much easier with a disc box set or with Netflix streaming. Oh, absolutely. Like I say, I've never, I'm not on Netflix yet and I've never really binge watch or anything, at least in that sense, the way the younger generation does today. Um, of course, the way of binge uh, watching to me, it means, you know, getting the old DVDs out and just running them and running them and running them until I collapse. To me, that's, <laughs> that's how I do binge watching with the discs, you know, and everything. It works. Not necessarily online. So that's my idea of binge watching, but it, it, it works very well for me. Um, I agree with Ms. Visitor's comment. Like I say, I don't really do it that way, but... You know, any kind of um, extra attention the show can get, any way to, to keep the name out there and to, to, you know, bring back the older fans back into it and hopefully reach a new generation of fans who these days might not, might only know Star Trek from all the, the publicity over the new series Discovery and, and you know, the, the current uh, Abramsverse movies or whatever you want to call the current iteration of the Star Trek films. Different people call them different things. Um, so if these technologies can allow the younger people to discover these episodes or rediscover them, you know, I say it's all to the good. Absolutely. I to totally agree with that. Uh so you know, as you rewatch, what has um, what stands out to you as far? I mean, we're talking about a show that's twenty five years old. Uh, sometimes makes us all feel old, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. But sometimes you know you watch shows and they they've lost their relevancy. How how relevant do you feel that DS Nine has remained? Uh, and and what is what stuck out to you as you've done this rewatch? Wow. 
loaded questions. Let's I know. See. All in five all, all in um, five minutes or less. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'll see what I can do. Anyway, uh, the show is definitely relevant. Um, the strength of the show uh, is in the, the absolute basics, the strength of the writing, and, of course, those magnificent characters they created, including, and this was fairly unique, uh, it might even be a unique thing in television today and certainly was novel then. Um, not that that Star Trek, for the first time, created this ongoing storyline that just kept um, increasing in intensity as the seasons wore on. Uh, today, that's a fairly common thing, but not back in the 90s, okay? Uh, we were, at that time, you may recall, very used to the idea of being able to watch an episode on reruns of Classic or even Next Gen, for that matter. And basically, uh, the cast would always be the same, you know? Everything would be generally hunky-dory by the end of that episode. So you would always, you know, be able to hit a rerun at any point during the run of the show and the characters except maybe for their hairstyles something or or something like that would be about the same well now here comes deep space nine and they're going on this this extended story arc not two episodes not four not six but whole seasons worth with the dominion war and to star trek that was a really new and novel idea i can't give enough credit to uh that team that they had down there um Let's see. And like I mentioned once before, the strength of the characters was amazing. I can't think of another show where the secondary characters, characters that probably were meant to be one-shots, all turned into very beloved characters that would just keep coming back and back over and over again. I mean, think about, man, I could just go on about this. <laughs> think about um, Gal Dukat. Oh, yeah. Think about uh, Damar. Think about Vic Fontaine. Um, think about Zial, you know, the, the daughter, you know, Ducat's daughter who wound up dying in Sacrifice of Angels and everything, you know. Uh, plain and simple Garrick, the tailor, you know, who led many lives. I mean, characters like this, and I could go on and on, they all become extremely important to the tapestry of the show. Uh, Rom's brother, uh, sorry. Quark, the brother of Rom, and then you have Nog, the son. If you look at the credits of the pilot episode, I think it says Ferengi Pit Boss. He, he didn't even have a name in the pilot. And by the end of the show, he becomes the new Nagus, right? Right, absolutely. And what you leave behind. So somehow those writers were not only to maintain interesting stories for the eight primary characters, but they would always bring in these extra characters on the side, and all of us fans, we just fell for them. Whether oh, yeah. they were good guys or like in Ducat, you know, totally psychotic, you know, we would we just couldn't get enough of those guys. I even remember liking Wayun a lot in those days. The ever-present actor Jeffrey Combs, who seemed to play just about every other alien they had because he's such a versatile actor and a really nice guy too. By the way, I've seen him one or two times at conventions down through the years. So he was like Star Trek's you know guest actor of choice, and he always made those characters interesting. Absolutely. Front FCA, his other, you know, character that he did lots of times. So that was a particularly, not that the actors on the other Trek series weren't great, of course they were, but it just seems like DS9 particularly stood out for the strength of its secondary characters and for the, the strength of the, of the writing that they used. And even 
with the kind of uh, technology we were looking at, they were always able to ground the series in very, very human stories, right. which is very much a hallmark of the best of Star Trek down through the last 50-plus years. Oh, absolutely. One more question about DS9. Um, again, we could do an entire show into DS9, but do you feel like having watched it, that as you look at society today, I mean, one of the things that Trek um, is known for is the fact it does so well with the social commentary. Uh, do you, do you, as you watch DS9, do you feel like the social commentary of Trek has remained relevant to today? Hmm. I think that, and that's actually kind of interesting because some would say that the um, ultra-positive, bright outlook of especially the ship-bound shows, your classic, your next generation, your Voyager, and the way those characters act just isn't realistic, whether it's two, three hundred years or three thousand years from now. Um, and that the world of, say, like a DS9 is far more realistic with the way people just naturally have been for thousands and thousands of years. Um, but I will say that as the world has run into some other unfortunate problems, uh, that seem insoluble to us. Um, I think to have that vision of the future where not only we're still alive, but we're still expanding outward. Yes, we've still got problems. We've still got our, you know, our violent nature and our petty jealousies and all that, you know, so it's, it's there, but we're still there. We're trying to get better. We're trying to explore. We're, we're, you know, we're trying to make ourselves the better, best version of ourselves as a race that we can. And the fact that that image is still up there, that in other words, the, the hope is just incredibly important. And the, the worse society seems to get, I don't want to sound maudlin here, yeah. but the worse society seems to get in general, I think it becomes all the more important to have uh, image like the what Star Trek would tell you about what the the future might be if we just work at it and be you know more tolerant of each other and a little bit more forgiving. So I think you know the image of what Gene Roddenberry was trying to show us, you know, regardless of the particulars of how certain characters act and everything, becomes more and more important actually as time goes on. I think that's something that we need to look to constantly and never forget that and not just say, well, isn't that nice? But that's hundreds of years from now. You got to, you know, work towards it person to person, you know, you know, for the foreseeable future, you have to be willing to work for it. So long story short. Yeah. It's, it's, it's extremely important, especially now. And, and you feel like DS nine still portrayed the positivity that we often saw in track. Yes, even though a lot of people, especially at the time when it came out saying, well, this isn't really Trek, you know, uh, Roddenberry, if he was, was healthy, you know, he wouldn't like that. Because, <laughs> yeah. You know, Starfleet uh, officers don't act that way. He never would have allowed a Section 31, and you know. And then those famous episodes like, you know, Purgatory Shadow in the Pale Moonlight, episodes like that where, you know, Cisco literally seems to sell his soul for the – you know, and his dignity for bringing the Romulans into the war on our side and everything, among the most, you know, positive, you know, incredibly strong episodes you can imagine for that series, one of my personal favorites. Um, so you, you have that, that situation going on as, as well. So that, that all fits right there. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. Awesome. 
Well, let's shift real quickly to talk a little bit about Babylon 5, also celebrating a 25-year anniversary. But not only that, but these shows, DS9 and Babylon 5, both story arc shows, are very different shows, but dropped about the same time, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, there are often some comparisons when people talk about them. Uh, what made you want to yeah. go? What, what made you want to go back and uh, and rewatch Babylon Five here in the 25th anniversary? Well, I had the B five discs, all five seasons, quite a bit before I started rebuying, started buying the DS nine box sets. You see, so I'd had them for a while, and I hadn't watched any episodes for mm, a couple of years at least. And so it wasn't really planned out that way. I just started watching them again, especially the second, third, and fourth years. The first year, eh, you know, it, it, I always enjoyed the premise. I loved the station, and I loved the alien ambassadors. But I thought I, it took me about a year to get used to the human characters. And then when they switched over to TNT for the fifth year, I thought the fifth year was kind of actually a drop-off. And again, we could easily spend an hour talking about the Absolutely. That was such Absolutely. a rich show, too. But uh, so a lot of that show changed, and Claudia Christian didn't come back for the fifth year and everything. So a lot about the show changed, and there was such intensity from the second, third, and fourth year with the the Shadow War and everything. Once that was over, I guess they figured the show was going to be axed after the fourth year. So well, we got to get this done. We got to get this done, right? So the end, end the Shadow War, and they said, "Oh, we'll give you a fifth year." But you got to switch over to TNT, right? Because that right. organization that put it out, PTEN, I think it was at the time, didn't exist anymore. So, um, so it dropped off a little. So, especially the second, third, and fourth ones that I I tend to watch over and over again. But it's, um, in fact, this might actually be a panel I'm hoping to to be on come shore leave time. Well, there you go. Um, because was not so much about the drop off in quality, but. Um, and again, I haven't seen the schedule yet, but I think it's interesting because I was thinking back a good 25 years, and I remember sitting in panels, yes, at Shore Leave, where we would have these battles between the DS9 fans and the Babylon 5 fans, you know. And I, I hope to call this panel DS9 versus B5 25 years later, because it seems like you know, no matter what your feelings are on it, those two shows seem to be eternally locked together for one reason or another. I remember each show blamed the other for being a copy of each other, and he would <laughs> say it's the same thing, and it's a ripoff. You've got to like one and not the other, and I'd be the one saying, but I love both shows. Can't we all just get along? Oh, I know. That kind of thing, you know? And they so were not I just they, Mike. kind of funny. They were yeah, not the they, they were not the same show. They had different premises, everything. Well, I do remember, like I say, a lot of back and forth between yeah. the fans of both shows, and there seemed to have been two quite intense camps for those two shows. And I tried to straddle both of them because, uh, you know, I love both of them, you know, for for different reasons. I always felt that uh, at the time, B five had the more advanced uh, special effects. It was the first show to use the you know the modern CGI technology. Trek did not use CGI until some years later. Um, so and also, unlike Trek, which of course got into that as the Dominion War wore on, the how many times did J. Michael Straczynski say this is a five-year novel for television? Right. Words, a story with 120 parts. 
you know. So he literally, at the beginning, knew where it was supposed to end. Right. And after all, the guy wrote, like, what, 80, 90 percent of the episodes himself? Right. An amazing feat in its own right. Um, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember the last guy who actually, even Rod Serling, was able to write that many of the Twilight Zones in his heyday, to, to write that many himself. So, um, but I adored both shows. I just think it was funny because here I was watching discs of both series at different times over the last year. That said, oh yeah, it's the 25th anniversary for that. I mean, we just had the 50th anniversary of, of Star Trek. We just celebrated 30 years of Next Gen last year. And this year, you know, we're, you know, of course, we got a couple guests. We'll discuss that later uh, from DS9 this year to help us celebrate 25. And oh yeah, B5 came out. I'm not sure which one premiered first because B5 had that pilot and everything, and it, it was true. done for a while, and it took a while to sell it before it finally was on the air. So I couldn't give you exact dates. Um, you know, the gathering was completed long before it right. went to series. Right. Of course, they recast a lot of the roles and all. Um, but I guess that was all part of what I consider to be in the early to mid to late 90s. In a way, I don't think we realized it at the time, kind of like a golden age of, of sci-fi fantasy on TV. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Because think about besides the sides and all the Trek series and B5, think about the other shows that were running super hot in those days that tended to sometimes overwhelm the convention because that one one show would be so popular that we would get so many guests from those particular series. Like, in those days, X-Files was running strong. Oh, yeah. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we had those guests in there and everything and all you know all those fans would would be there and that was another thing and then the popularity of all the stargate series i've lost track of how many stargate series there have been by the way but it seems <laughs> to me like almost every one at least for stargate and stargate atlantis at some point or another has been to shore leave um so all those shows were running on on different channels and everything so it was a real golden time i think it was for uh, not just the star trek franchise but also for sci-fi on tv there were so many fine yeah there's no doubt there's no doubt that babylon 5 and ds9 really broke ground for the types of series that they produced i think this is one of the reasons they get compared because of the huge story out arcs a little bit darker tones the moral ambiguity that sometimes the characters have to wrestle with um and so i think that there's certainly certainly that uh, as you watched or rewatched babylon 5 what what remains some of your favorite characters or favorite moments of the show? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Again, five it's minutes. Hard to pick things yeah. out. <laughs> I well, I've always uh, especially enjoyed all the alien ambassadors. Um, I always really, really enjoyed uh, those characters right from the very beginning. You know, not to show favoritism, but I always tended to prefer them over most of the human characters, you know, so that that was just me. And that was the case early on. And like I said before, I I love the uh, the look of the show and everything. Uh, that's for sure, because, you know, no show was ever produced with that look up till that time. Uh, we take CGI very much for granted today. But that was like the, you know, the first time anybody had done that on a weekly basis to do, you know, effects that were that rich and that detailed on a television budget. It still holds up today, you know. So um, 
So, you know, and I always uh, appreciate it. And in more recent years, upon rewatching, I've always become very emotionally involved in watching the life of the um, Jakar character and poor Lando Malari. So even because even though he did terrible, terrible things, and he could have made some choices to make his life very different, you still feel sorry for him. You know, because he he could have made far far better choices than he actually did, and would have saved a lot of lives. But you still feel sorry for him, and that's a testament to the writing. That's a testament to the actors involved, the late Andreas Katsoulis, and of course. Um, Oh, man, Peter Jurisic, that's his name, Peter Jurisic, who has been to uh, local conventions down through the years. Again, I don't want to get too maudlin, but as I think of some of the actors, it seems like we've lost so many dear friends, especially from Babylon 5. Yeah, I would say that's true. I look at that cast list, you know, from most of the episodes and all, and I say, he's gone, he's gone, he's no longer here, you know. Yeah, you know, we, you know, not too long ago, we lost Stephen First, for example. He had lost all that weight and everything. Uh, Richard Biggs died so young. He had been to shore leave and was a tremendously popular guest, one of the nicest guys we've ever met. And he promised to come back, and he up and passed away. Don't want to drag people down here, folks, because yeah. it's like P5 mm-hmm. has had very bad luck with cast make members making reunions. Right. You know, so... Many are, are no longer are no longer with us. Sad to say, but their their legacy lives on with uh, these great characters and all the you know fans they develop through through shows like that. Well, you know, as we've uh, as you kind of mentioned, we've had, Shore Leave has brought many guests to the convention over the year. Not only them, but many other conventions in the area. But we're talking Shore Leave today. I think one of the things that makes Shore Leave special this year is we are celebrating. 40 years of shore leave, 40 years, Mike. It still boggles my mind thinking no. about it. What do you, as you look back in shore leave, uh, you know, so many conventions have come, gone, and there's been very few that have made it as long as 40 years. Uh, what do you, what do you kind of attribute the, to the key to being the success for shore leave? I don't know. I could make some kind of pithy comment about my brilliance and publicity. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, let's see here. Well, that is actually a very good question because uh, I don't think there's one good answer. That's like asking how come Star Trek has lasted 50 years. They can give you 20 different answers, and they're right. all right. <laughs> um, any number of reasons. One, uh, a lot of people uh, on the Shore Leave Committee uh, have been doing this basically their entire adult lives. Um, I personally have been involved in one way or the other with the convention. I, my first one, believe it or not, for those of you who haven't heard my voice do this before, but my first one was Shore Leave 8 back in 1986, okay? And I was just an attendee then, and by around the time Shore Leave 15 came around, I, I joined the committee, and I went to what was called the video department. In those days, you could run movies and classic episodes and blooper reels, and you'd fill a room for people that, you know, before everybody had them on disc. It was only about 10, 11 years ago I became a publicity guy. Um, but anyway, a lot of people have been doing this for many, many years, and the love they have for the convention, for fandom, 
for doing right by the fans who come to this event every year, it shines through. And remember, we're all volunteers. None of us paid a penny for what we do. So you have, you have to figure it out. You have to figure that everybody's doing it for reasons other than that. Okay? Right. Um, we, we love the friendships that have been formed down through the years through Star Trek and through the conventions like ours and other conventions in the area. Um, yes, is it a lot of work and can be can it be a real pain? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, we all like have anything. other jobs and, you know, mortgages and families to take care of. All that's incredibly important, you know. So sometimes it's very hard to find time to do this right. But we all do it year to year. Many, many dear friends, and again, there I go being maudlin again, but thinking over 40 years, <laughs> a lot of other people in the committee, sadly, are no longer with us. And when I go, when we hit another milestone, 20, 25, 30, now 40 years of the convention, I think back to all these different people uh, who built Shoreleap up, Shoreleap up over all these years. And it was their hard work and their dedication that brought us to where we are now. So that's that's one thing right there. The the people who who put it on, all the the helpers, you know, who who yeah. help us out every year. Um, incredibly uh, dedicated team, um, and basically it's just us trying to put on the best show that we possibly can with the resources that we have. I mean, I think about uh, folks in other cities around the country. And these other cities, like I say, I have the deepest respect for some of the pro organizations, you know, your your creation and other organizations like that. You've got the, the WorldCon, you've got the giant Las Vegas Grand Slam going on every year. Um, you know, you, of course, you know, you have all those things going on at, at the same time and everything. And they put on magnificent shows and it's what they do and they're extremely successful, but... I like to tell people that when you have these massive shows that are drawing 20, 30, 40, 60, 70,000 people, a lot of times you, you lose the human element, you see? It becomes like a mob scene. It's a cattle call, you know? You can't really have, or at least it's extremely difficult to have, any kind of interaction with the guest stars. I mean, I've seen it happen, you know, next, you know, you hand off your picture, one big guy hands it over to the actor, they sign it, hands it over to another big guy, and then next, and it's, it's a miracle if you can get a handshake. And that's how it's done. I mean, you know, that that's how I've seen it done in other places. But, you know, we always try to, you know, have that human element. Right. We, we always like having you know, good crowds and everything. And of course we would like to sell the place out. Of course we would. But we're very much limited by the size of our hotel. You see, right. the Hunt Valley Inn that we've been using for 38 of our 40 years wow. only has the capacity of 1,500 at a time. Okay? And believe me, the fire department has no sense of humor when it goes beyond that. Okay? <laughs> so we're not about to try breaking any of the rules. We right. would like to stay operating, you know? And so... That is enough of a crowd to maintain a buzz and to feel genuine excitement and to build up the energy of the crowd, okay? But it's small enough 
where if you run across a friend you haven't seen for the last year, you can still find a quiet corner somewhere in that hotel and just talk. You can. I can't tell you over all these years how many times I've just, even though I knew there were two, three other things going on at the same time that I could probably be doing, you know, I'll just sit in a corner, find a chair somewhere, talking to somebody I haven't talked to in a while, or or meet a new friend, you know, and all you know, and all that, and tell them about the convention of someone who's not been there before. Here, let me show you this, or you know, let me tell you where such and such is, and all that sort of thing. So, you have the fan to fan interaction, and you have the fan guest interaction. That I think you know, that it's much more difficult to do when you've got a whole city of people. Right. Well, you know, and, I, th- and, and I agree. And I, I, think... I challenge. Go ahead. Sorry. And I'd like, yeah, I, I challenge any of these other large scale conventions, you know, to be able to put out the kind of convent number of tracks of programming that we do, you know, considering our size. I mean, on Saturday, on average, we've got a dozen-plus tracks going at the exact same time. You know, and for a little, tiny 1,500-person, you know, volunteer convention in Baltimore, that's not half bad, brother. That is. That's actually pretty good. You heard it here, folks. Mike's going to do a throwdown with the big – I'm just kidding. He's not going to do that. But, uh, you know – Hey, don't get me started with those guys. I'm just saying. I know. Because I do meet a lot of people who go to pro cons, and they've actually said to me, you know, this – you know, that's great too, but it's really neat that this is a small convention, and yet you have so much to do. You know what? I have a friend friend that's coming to this year's shore leave. It'll be his first shore leave, but I had him come to Farpoint, and then he went to – a bigger convention I won't name, but he just really enjoyed the small the small convention, the ability to not only to interact with other people, to have a little bit of space, and uh, and the accessibility of the guests. Um, the fact that you Absolutely. bring it, you, you, that you bring in guests that are uh, that are there because they aren't just trying to sign an autograph; they're there because they actually want to have a two to three minute conversation with you and. Uh, I think there's right, and a lot of that depends, of course, on how busy it is. I mean, I I tell folks, hey, if you come Friday or you come Sunday, and there's not much of a line, ninety-nine point nine percent of these actors are going to be able to have a conversation with you. I mean, don't try to have a long conversation when there's a line. You know, absolutely not. But but generally, you just need to uh, be respectful of those behind you and everything. But, yeah, there have been many times where I've just been, if there's nobody in front of them, I'll say, you know, hi, I'm Mike, you know, publicity, and thank you so much for coming. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I saw you in that movie and all that. And generally, in almost every case, they're very, very nice about it. Um, I guess a sociologist could probably explain this better, but it just seems like television actors just seem to be a lot more accessible generally than quote unquote movie stars. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would they say seem it's a true. lot they still make a lot of money, yes, but they're far closer to, you know, the average Joe than I think some of the movie stars are. And I've I found down through the years that most of these actors, you know, just regular folks, if you're you know, if you just treat them respectfully and everything and give them their privacy like and they're trying to have a meal or something over at the at the restaurant or something they're just fine and that you know only to me cements their relationship with fans even stronger absolutely when they can have that that minute or two with them and everything especially if that character is incredibly important to you oh yeah absolutely it really it makes you uh love the show even more in a sense 
Um, Absolutely. Now, if you uh, have like that personal contact with one or more of those actors, I mean, wow, the, the Star Trek actors, you know, that you've seen many, many times. Just last year, for example, we had Michael Dorn and Marina, Marina Sirtis, you might remember, oh, yes. doing their usual act together. They've always needled each other since the very beginning. You know that. They're the best of friends. And it was just absolutely amazing seeing them up on stage together really tearing into each other and everything, out of love and everything. And I say, this just feels just like 25, 30 years ago, the last time we had a mature leave, and they were acting the same then. They're just a little bit grayer now, you know? Yep. But it's still pretty much the same. It's like, you know, having extended family members back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you bring them in and everything. It's it's a great feeling, you know, seeing these guys again, you know, because you've, you've seen them, you know, in, in the past. You know what you're getting, you know? Yeah. So question for you, we're, we're talking about 40 years of shore leave and, uh, and we, we acknowledge there's people that have gone and passed. I think it's hard to not look back at a, something that's been going 40 years and, and miss some of the people that made it. But I want to talk about some of the, some of your top memories from the past, I guess, 32 shore leaves that you've been a part of, uh, things that I, I, I said, give me your top five list, but if you don't have quite five, that's fine too. Um, what are some of the, the big memories that you have of shore leave over the years? Wow. Um, well, let's see. It's, see, it's far easier to remember things, especially getting old like I am. <laughs> you know, it's far easier to think of things in recent years than 20, 30 years ago and everything. So a lot of my memories might be of more recent times. One that jumps right to the top for me every time, whenever this question gets brought up, is seeing Leonard Nimoy on Skype only a matter of a few months before he died. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, I mean, uh, there were some technical problems at the time, but it still worked out. Uh, He was there, I think, with his uh, one of his grandsons. Uh, playing guitar for him. He was singing Maiden Wine, that famous song from Plato's Stepchildren. No, I won't melt the phone lines by attempting to sing. (laughs) Uh, For everybody out there in the diner, I won't torture you in that way. But he was there. He he seemed so so genuine and so grateful for everybody's love and and support down through the years. Um, It was just magnificent, even though it's not quite the same as having them, you know, him there in person. uh, It was an extremely emotional experience for all of us there. Um, That was very much a big deal. And I think he perhaps passed away maybe, I don't know, what, five, six months after that? Yeah, it was soon after that. I mean, we, we all knew that he was in bad shape. I mean, we knew, but we didn't know how bad until we got the horrible news, you know? Yeah. Um, so I remember that very clearly. That's a big one. <clears throat> um, let's see. I remember a very young actor named Michael Welch, uh, who was in Star Trek Insurrection. Artem, I believe his character was. Okay. All right? And it might have been his first convention, or at least very close to his first, all right? And he was maybe, I'll know, about 10, 11 years old at the time. And we presented him with a birthday cake on stage. And, you know, he seemed very, very proud and and happy uh, to be there. Uh, So that was a special thing. And about mm, maybe seven or eight years ago, that actor, Michael Welch, who just started up that show Z Nation at the time, I believe, came back to shore leave. And I reminded him of that cake and, you know, how grateful we are, you know, that he came back to us again. And he was just as nice as ever. 
So it was really nice seeing him. So that kind of stands out. Um, let's see here. Uh, we've had some huge, huge guests, and I have to give tremendous props to our guest relations team. I, I don't know how they really do this, considering the size of our budget and the size of the hotel. But in the last five, six years, we've had names like William Shatner, which, counting this year, we've, we've had him twice. Um, one year, just, you know, recently, uh, we had uh, Kate Mulgrew there. Um, let's see here. Wow. Uh, I hate forgetting any names. But oh, yeah, so the many. The really great character actor Edward James almost came to relief. That was a huge feather in our cap. Um, uh, the, the MacGyver actor, Richard, Richard Dean Anderson. Dean, yep. Uh, that was a guy that we had tried to get for years, and it was a big, even bigger feather in our cap uh, to get him a couple of years ago. Um, so that was huge. Um, let's see here. Um, from a more personal standpoint, so many of them are tied up in different actors and everything, you know? Not that the things with in the dealer's room and doing all these great panels and everything aren't important to me, but some of the really big emotional moments tend to center around certain actors or their talks or some that may have happened in a particular talk. Among the more, um, you know, sharp-witted and, and kind uh, actors I've ever met is Robert Picardo. Oh, uh, absolutely. He is an absolute hoot. Absolutely. He's come to Shore Leave two, three times that I know of. Um, and each time he comes, he just wows the audience. I mean, we're like putty in his hands, okay? And one time he came, he, was, um, he had this charity going. He had a family member who had a rare disease. And unbeknownst to him, the convention was taking up a, a convention, a collection, and turned over the funds over to him on stage. And the man said, you know, basically act like he was about to break down in tears. You know, and we all remember that. Because this is a man who does nothing but laugh and make people laugh all the time. And he oh, got absolutely. all serious. You know? Yeah. Um, one thing I remember, this was at a, what we call a dead dog party. This was maybe 10, 15 years ago. I remember one of the famous original Star Trek guest stars, Malachi Throne. Does that name ring a bell? I wasn't. We were not at the convention then, I don't think. Well, he was the uh, actor who'd been in uh, some classic episodes. He actually came back to Trek many years later. He was Commodore um, Mendez in okay. Menagerie, basically. Anyway, so he, he came in to our dead dog party and said to us on the committee something about how this is probably the best organized convention he's ever seen. You know, and he, he didn't have to do that. He just no. walked in and did that. God bless the man's soul. That's awesome. So... You know, that's just something that just made us all so proud, you know? I mean, we a lot of the things, people say, well, how do you know it's a success, right? And what will wind up happening is, especially in the era of, of um, you know, of social media and everything, is we get calls, we get messages, we get Facebook, we get Twitter, and now, granted, you're never going to please everybody. There's always seems oh, to no. be something, right? That just don't happen. But um, we get these these notes all the time, especially from people who hadn't been to the convention before, and said, "Boy, we didn't know you guys were there, and we're so glad that we came." And we 
met so many great people, and I made some new friends, and we can't wait till next year. Who are you going to have next year? They'll ask a year <laughs> ahead of time, right? Right. And I say, well, give us a chance, but we're going to put on a great show for you, you know? And these are very, very important things. These are, are special memories. People say, after all, especially as you get older, why do you keep putting yourself through this? Why do you put so much effort into it and dedicate so much time and energy into it? Well, that's why. Okay? Because people are really enjoying it, and somehow, and I always say this, I didn't mean to go on so long, but, <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, we must be doing something right. Absolutely. Because like you said some time ago, um, do I have a magic formula? Can I just wave a magic wand and everything's okay? No, but a combination of a number of different elements, having our heart in the right place and having really talented, dedicated people um, all around and getting just the right kind of guests and everything and a very cozy, very modest-sized hotel that's, you know, not just a, you know, a giant convention center. Um, it all adds into a, a very exciting, yet at the same time, a very intimate experience where all these amazing things can happen at any one time. People who don't know about the convention, what I always try to tell them is, and I'm sure I've told this story every year, is think about the first season episode, Shore Leave, right? Where, what did Mr. Spock say? You know, this is like an amusement park. And then he says, oh, it's a place where people could go and do all sorts of fascinating things. And that's how I describe the convention to people who don't know about it. Okay? No, it's true. And, and so it's this combination of elements which allows us to, again, this is going to, people are going to go, oh, and I can't say I blame you, but it's allowed <laughs> us to live long and prosper. I mean, so many other Great conventions, very respected conventions down through the years have fallen by the wayside. But somehow, Shoreleave is not only surviving, but thriving. Now, how long we can just keep on going, it's going to depend on how many younger people come up and want to do this work on into the future as we all get older, you know? So who knows what the future will bring. But for at least for right now, uh, Shoreleave is going on and on. It's like the Energizer Bunny. It Absolutely. just keeps going and going and going, yep. and, and uh, I'm only too proud to do my small part of it. I just want to share one memory that I I, I had a top five list too, and I'm not going to read all of them here. But you you sure, mentioned you, 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 you mentioned the guests and the guests, as you said, you've you've brought some incredible guests. Again, a of the ones that are most memorable, Edward James Olmos, who. We were a young podcast and he just took his, he was tired. He had worked a long day and he just gave of his time to us in the sci-fi diner. And we were so appreciative of that. I, it must have been one of the first couple of years we were podcasting and we just felt extremely privileged and honored. Um, and that's the way I feel about any time guests, the, the guests that you bring, when they choose to interview with the sci-fi diner, we just feel so privileged that these people believe in the fans that are willing to do that. So we're incredibly blessed by that. The second memory I just want to share is last year when we had Marina Sirtis and uh, Kevin Sussman were there. Oh, yeah, our first ever Big Bang Theory guest. Right. He was, so, I was wondering how popular he'd be, and uh, he did extremely well. The fans loved him. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, him, uh, Michael Dorn, and Marina Sirtis had done a power um, – a power like autograph section, like two hours they were signing autographs, right? And 
they were setting up for the masquerade mm-hmm. and we were sitting out where they take the photos for the masquerade and you know, they're all tired. Michael Doran came by and people said, Hey, stop for a photo. And he was just so tired. He just said, no, no, I'm too tired. But Marina Cerritos and Sussman came by and people were like, Hey, pose for a photo. And they did. My son who has started coming to the conventions didn't really know these people because he hasn't watched a lot of Star Trek and he hasn't watched Big Bang Theory. He popped in and photobombed this session. I could not get myself, <laughs> I could not get my cell phone up fast enough. So he's up there. Marina Cerritos has her arm around him and he's like smiling, cheesing. And it was just funny. But it's just one of those moments that you have like at conventions where again, the guests are accessible. So. That's absolutely right. And yeah. that's, that's a very special, it's a very special feeling, especially when you have good people around you. And also when you have an environment that is very cozy. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. That kind of lends itself to that. Yeah. You know, I think if we had the convention in a, you know, 20,000 seat auditorium, you know, it would be a, yeah, we could probably sell a lot more tickets and maybe get even bigger guests. Who knows? But it wouldn't be quite the same. The feeling wouldn't be the same. No, no, absolutely. Well, you know, as we've been talking here, we do got to talk a little bit about what Shore Leave is bringing this year. We've reminisced a lot about Shore Leave through the years and we even kind of through the process talked about many of the reasons why, hey, if you have never been to Shore Leave, these are the reasons to come. Tell us a little bit about if people say, you know what, I want to check out the Shore Leave. What can I expect this year at Shore Leave? Can you fill us in a little bit there, Mike? <laughs> All right. <laughs> to keep it reasonably brief. Okay. Like I said before, you know, especially on Saturday, at least a dozen tracks of programming. For those of you who have not been or are thinking about coming down, get here, I would say, maybe an hour before the registration opens. You'll thank me, okay? Because you <laughs> might wind up in a bit of a line, okay? And then what you need to do, once you have your program book and your, your pocket program and all, find a corner somewhere with a pen. Start circling. You'll thank me. Because you will literally find yourself wishing there were three or four of you because there are just too many things going on to possibly take it all in. So it's very important that you try to plan out your weekend as much as possible. Um, now, what I like to tell people, as far as Shirley 40 is concerned, it should be everything that you've come to expect and maybe a little bit more, okay? So that, that's my basic gist with what we're trying to accomplish with Shirley 40. I guess I should begin with the, our guest stars. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, let's start with there. They're often the people that... People are excited to come to see. All right. Well, let's see here. We have this guy. Uh, maybe you heard of him. <laughs> uh, I think his name is William Shatner. Yeah. Okay. William Shatner, what I like to say, the man himself. Okay. Uh, William Shatner is going to join us on Saturday, July 7th only. We only have him for one day, unfortunately. But what's good is he is giving two talks, two hour-long talks. I don't have the exact time just yet. Keep an eye on our official website, www.shore-leave.com, okay? As the convention gets close, all that will be posted, okay? Uh, but he's going to give two talks on Saturday, July 7th. And, yes, he will be there a majority of the day signing autographs. Another actress that we're very honored to have, but is unfortunately only available Saturday only, is Ming-Na Wen. 
Okay. Uh, currently known as from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's been in Stargate Universe. She's been in Eureka. And I'm old enough to remember her from a Disney movie called Mulan. Remember that one? Oh, yes. You know, so that was like 92 or something. That's how far back I've known of this actress. So it's, uh, you know, great. We're very, very thrilled to have her. And she'll be with us on Saturday the 7th. She'll give a talk and be signing autographs as well. Okay. Now, the remainder of our uh, guest actors are all scheduled to be there throughout the entire three-day weekend, okay? I just wanted to mention those first two first because they're limited availability. Um, to help celebrate the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine with us, we have both the lovely Chase Masterson, Lita from DS9, and Nog himself, Mr. Aaron Eisenberg, will be That's joining awesome. us throughout the weekend. So we're very, very excited to be able to discuss the great anniversary of Deep Space Nine with these two um, very versatile, very fine people. And I think it's also interesting. I don't recall the name of the organization that she's with, but I see Chase Masterson and Aaron Eisenberg, for that matter, on Facebook posting quite a bit. And uh, Ms. Masterson's involved very strongly in an anti-bullying campaign. I wish I could remember the exact name of this organization right now, but I'm sure this is going to get mentioned during the convention. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. So uh, I wanted to mention that as well, and I'm sure that it will be mentioned during the course of the convention. Now, last year we had a couple guests, very popular guests, from a very popular show right now called Dark Matter. Okay, Do you watch a lot of Dark Matter, Scott? Yeah, I watched I watched some of season one, but uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I, I haven't watched all. But um, well, we had two guests last year, and both were incredibly popular. So almost as soon as that convention was over, people got on the horn with us and they said, "We want more dark matter guests." And so this year, we're very happy to announce that both Melissa O'Neill, who plays two, and Alex Malari Jr., who plays four are both going to join us for Shore Leave this year. That is awesome. So Dark Matter is being very heavily represented once again this year. Also joining us this year, two very uh, popular science fiction fantasy character actors, uh, Mr. Sean Ashmore, who's been such, seen in such series as X-Men, Fringe, and Smallville, will be joining us. And a young actress by the name of Allison Scagliati, whose credits include Warehouse 13, Vampire Diaries, and Smallville. Okay? Awesome. Uh, and also recently added to our main guest list, although this probably technically falls more under the writer category, I just got to mention this because this is terribly exciting for a, a lifelong, you know, Star Trek nut like I am. Okay? Um, I call them Star Trek authors, artists, and archivists. Try saying that ten times. <laughs> All right? Anyway. I know you're going to say. from... Right. Anything <laughs> from the last 25 years, they've been in it. Okay? And if they were old enough, they would have been here for the classic series, too. The name, anything having to do with Star Trek, they've been involved. Michael and Denise Okuda are joining us as well. That is awesome. Okay? And I can't wait to see their talk this year. And if I get the opportunity, I might even ask them about their experience with the Roddenberry Vault and see if they can give us any like inside intel if they're going to do a volume two or something, because you know there has to be a lot more there 
to go through, okay? Absolutely. So uh, that would be the question, I guess, that would be first on my mind. So that is also terribly exciting. Now, I know we're running a little short on time, but as you are very aware, besides all these wonderful guest actors, we have, mm, I would say, about 40, give or take, professional writers joining us again this year. In fact, within the last week, we've added a bunch more. That's why oh, really? I tell folks, keep getting on the website, folks. It seems like every other day, three, four more names get added. Um, but we're up to about 40 professional writers now. Uh, we've been adding more scientists. We're going to have science programming once again throughout the entire weekend, okay? We just added a few more. Initially, we only had like five or six. We're up to like 10 or 11 now. So there's going to be science programming throughout the weekend, okay? Including that one... Uh, Scientist last year, Dr. C. Alex Young, who gave an extremely popular talk to a standing room only crowd about the great solar eclipse that was coming up at the time, you might recall. Yeah. Here in Baltimore, it didn't turn out so good because it rained all day. So unfortunately, we didn't see much of it here right. in Baltimore. But it was an incredibly, you know, popular. He's one of the scientists who will be joining us again this year. Also, some of the, the um, folks who do entertainment especially like during the halftime of the masquerade and everything. you got the Boogie Knights who have been around forever. You've got Luna C., you know, who have been performing at local conventions right. for many years. They're going to be here performing during the course of the weekend. And just recently on the website, we uh, also have artist guest of honor, Todd Brugmans, uh, who was with us a few years ago as well. So we have an artist guest of honor as well. And, of course, all the individual names, all their uh, biographies, the listing of what they've done is all available on the website if you'd like to look up any of the uh, information on any of our writers or performers or scientist guests. And, of course, the actual schedule of when they're going to talk, of course, will go up on the website probably about a week before the actual convention. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean... And we're just the tip of the iceberg. When, when Mike's sharing with you, there are, again, the dealer's rooms. There's plenty of programming tracks that if you don't want to, if you want to just a break from hearing the guests all the time, you want to kind of be involved in the conversation, many of the sessions and panels are there. It's located at a really good location, Mike, you know, as far as being near a lot of different restaurants. Um, I know that the Hunt Valley is uh, sold out again uh, as far as the hotel goes. But yes, there are plenty but of. There you are, have to tell people, though, that does not mean the convention is sold out. Yeah, only that's true. The room. Only the, only we the room. We still have room, folks. And there's plenty you know, of. So but don't panic. Yeah, and there's <laughs> plenty. Yeah, and, but there are plenty of hotels right nearby that literally within walking oh, that's distance. Right. So. Literally on the website, folks. If you go to the website, we do have a page there for nearby hotels. There are about. 10 or 12 modestly priced hotels within a 15-minute drive of the Hunt Valley Inn. So even if you can't get in there, there are other opportunities, let me tell you. And yes, if you choose not to eat or anything right there on site at the Hunt Valley Inn, uh, we are literally right across from a, a totally rebuilt, I mean, it's it's, I guess you'd call it a strip mall now. It's, you know, it's not right. enclosed anymore. They totally rebuilt it. It's very clean. A lot of it is very new. It's very beautiful. So that Hunt Valley area is just chock-a-block with a lot of businesses and food items and restaurants. And there's even a movie theater like 30 seconds away from the Hunt Valley Inn. If there's a movie you've been dying to see and you want to talk about it in a panel or something, it's probably playing right across the street from the hotel. You can do that, too. You know, if you can find a quiet moment to get away for a few hours, 
without missing anything major, but it's right across the street, too. So one good thing about the Hunt Valley Inn is that, I mean, when you drive on I-83, there's a lot of, you know, woods and everything, and it looks like you're, like, way out the road, when in actuality, it's only a matter of minutes away from the city. It's, like, just north of Baltimore. So if you take a 15-minute drive, you know, you're in the heart of Baltimore City, but you're you're in the suburbs just enough where you're not in the middle of all the, the noise and activity, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of like a best best of both worlds kind of thing, so to speak. And you know? uh, again, so that's one good thing about that hotel. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, the the website address it's www.shore-leave.com, and that'll get you. Right. There are all sorts of links that'll get you to those hotels. Um, also has uh, the registration information where uh, you can still pre-register, and if you do it probably within the next week after this episode comes out, you can still get a discount on your reser- on your registration. Right. The pre-registration cuts off, as in past years, on June 15th. Now, a few years ago, when we had William Shatner the first time, Saturday actually sold out, or at least if it didn't, it was very close. So, you know, that was, I'd have to tell people, sorry, folks, you got to come Sunday or whatever. But as of the last time I checked, we do still have room. I mean, it's it's building up very nicely. Attendance is going to be good. But as of right now, still fine. But I would recommend, if you're really thinking about it, try to, to pre-register. Or if you're just going to come one day, try to get here like uh, an hour, maybe before the registration opens up so you don't miss out on anything. Okay? Yeah. Um, so I always try to tell folks to you know, to do that and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, pre-registration, it'll, it'll run you about $95 for the weekend, but it is well worth it. Well worth it. Um, and you get access to everything, uh, including Shatner this year, because you remember the last time Shatner came, there was an extra charge, not this year. That's right. Before it was, it was extra. You know, not just the, the, the cost of the membership to get in, but also for the talk. Well, I don't know how they did it. Like I say, guest relations, again, gets all the credit in the world. Right. But they managed to uh, set it up where there's no extra charge to see his talk, and he's giving two talks. That's probably awesome. Probably one like in late morning and probably one maybe late afternoon before dinner time or something. So if you can't fit, you know, into the main ballroom for one talk, you can get into the other, you know. So there will be opportunities you know, to, to actually see them. And I like what you said before, Scott, about how, you know, when I was younger, everything was about the guest stars and getting those autographs, you know, before the cost of autographs went through the roof. Don't get us started, right? Uh, right. Or we'll another be going topic. On for another hour. But, <laughs> but anyway, the autographs have, shall we say, gone up quite a bit in these last three years. Are. But, but anyway, uh, you know, even if you're not into the actors per se, there are any number of things. A lot of people, you know, say, nah, I wouldn't like anything there, and there's nothing there for me to do. I say, you don't know that, because there are so many different things to do. I mean, some folks, they, they hang out in the uh, dealer's areas and everything, look for that one special item that add to their collection. Other folks, like me, I like going to a lot of panels. Absolutely. I love sitting in on panels and watching panels, giving my rather copious opinions on things. You know what I mean? So I love doing that. Other people, they like watching the fan film schedule that we 
have. Other folks will spend almost a whole weekend watching the science talks. Absolutely. It's one of those things where I wish there could be two or three of me, because every year I tell myself, I'm going to watch more science yeah. talks. And every year, I don't seem to be able to get around to it as much as I'd like, because unfortunately, you know, there's only one of me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other folks, and I know this is the absolute truth, uh, a lot of folks, they do the, the uh, gaming rooms, and I literally don't see them the rest of the weekend because that's what they're most comfortable doing. That's where their friends are, you know? And so they do that. So there are any number of things. You've got the art show and auction. You've got the masquerade and everything. You know, you've got the 10... Yeah. got the Friday night meet the pros can go on and on. So I always tell folks that if you can't find something, you know, that you like to do at a convention like this, I don't know what to tell you. Right. <laughs> because Absolutely. We always try to have a little something special for every kind of fan. We even have um, a special unique programming track just for the little ones. And over the last couple of years, we've started developing a teen programming track, like teen meet and greets and everything. You know, so that's there, too. Yeah. And again, all the details are, of course, on the website. Yeah. So real quickly, before we wrap up, and we do need to wrap up the show here, uh, surely is when again this year? All right. July 6th, 7th, and 8th at the Hunt Valley Inn, Marriott Delta, uh, just north of Baltimore off of I-83. Yeah. So, and again, you can find out that information and much, much more at shore-leave.com. And again, by June 15th, you can pre-register, get a little bit off. Uh, but if you decide to come after that, you can always buy tickets at the door and you can always buy them online. Do you know when online registration or memberships stop being sold? Well, I, I think, like I said before, I think the cutoff is, is June 15th because the oh. registration team needs time, you know, to gather their materials okay. and make up all the badges and everything so that when you arrive at the convention and go to the pre-registration table, you know, you can give your confirmation letter and along with your name and everything so they can hand you your, your badge and your bag of goodies, so to speak, so your shore leave weekend can begin as quickly as possible. Absolutely. But yeah, they always need at least a couple weeks between the end of pre-registration and the actual convention to prepare all those materials. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sitting down here at the Sci-Fi Diner, talking about DS9, talking about Babylon 5, reminiscing about Shore Leave and telling us what we can be looking forward at this year's Shore Leave. I know I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, my entire family's coming this time, so that's going to be a first. My wife and my daughter and my, uh, my son's been there before, but uh, my wife and daughter are coming, and they're excited as well. I hope well to have the them. opportunity to meet them. Be sure to flag me down. I will do that. I will do that. Thanks, Mike, for uh, coming on the show, and um, we are looking forward to seeing you in just a few short weeks. It's going to be here before you know it. Yep, absolutely. It's hard to believe another year has rolled around already, and it's we never had a chance to mention it, but it almost feels like a kid on Christmas morning, you know, <laughs> when surely time rolls around. Only in this case, it's an entire weekend. Yeah. It, it comes around very, very quickly. So, yeah. Thank you again, Scott, for all your time. Thanks to all your team at the Sci-Fi Diner, and I hope to see a great many of you. Uh, from the diner. I uh, hope to have the opportunity to meet you come shore leave in just uh, a few weeks from now. Absolutely. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. 
send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. 